This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 132. Richard Nongard on Thinking Bigger. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. It's time to level up your thinking. Hey, it's Jason Lynette here with a content-packed session once again with Richard Nongard joining the outstanding ranks of previous Work Smart Hypnosis podcast guests who were on for the second time, forgetting they were on here the first time. Let me now go cry quietly in a room in a corner by myself. All right, I'm back. Uh, I reached out to Richard specifically uh, to be here once again, or for the first time, but hey, who's counting, specifically on the theme of thinking bigger. There are some projects that Richard's had in the works recently and number of trainings that I've done out in Las Vegas. He and I have been able to hang out a couple of times and just to be around somebody who truly is thinking differently about how we approach most of this work. So in this session you're about to interact with, in this conversation, you're going to hear some themes in terms of how we can better serve our clients, how we can better model the thinking of the pioneers of this hypnotic profession, and then on top of that, how we can adapt our own thinking to begin to serve our businesses and grow our own success and not just help our clients, but also to help ourselves step into that peak performance state of mind ourselves. A quick side note, we get into the topic of the experience of watching a real client session. And that's why inside of my training program, Hypnotic Workers, you get real access to real client sessions from start to finish, virtually from the moment of walking in the room to walking out of the room. And on top of that, these sessions have been transcribed for you to model the thinking and learn from as well. You get the full access pass to my digital hypnosis training for just $47 a month. Learn more at hypnoticworkers.com. And once again, I'd also point you over to Richard's incredible website, subliminalscience.com, all sorts of training resources. And that's where you can learn about his upcoming trainings and offerings and workshops and everything he's got out there as well. So there's a ton of content. Let's jump directly into this one. Here we go with session number 132. Richard Nongard on Thinking Bigger. So when you mention expert hypnotist, what's behind that? What's the thinking inside of that? Yeah, we learn a lot of techniques. We learn a lot of different uh, induction styles. We probably study different protocols. For example, I teach a three-session protocol I call the Quit Success Program to help hypnotists help clients to succeed at becoming non-smokers. But the difference between a person who is a good technician, who can do the methods or the techniques correctly, and the expert, is somebody who's added two elements. One of those elements is intuition. They intuitively can guide a session. They can seamlessly, because of their intuitive spirit, shift from one approach to another approach because it's in the client's best interest. This is something that the hypnotist really commits to their own subconscious processes. I, I remember when I first started seeing clients in hypnosis, I had to think about what I should be doing next. And as I have over the last 30 years, I think moved into the expert level, it's 
intuitive for me. Those shifts are seamless. People ask me all the time, what's the best way to move to an expert level to be intuitive in your hypnosis? It isn't just about personality. I think our personalities play a role in how likely we are to be intuitive or expert, but I think also getting good feedback. So for me, I probably did hypnosis for many years before anybody ever actually saw me do a hypnosis session and then gave me feedback about the way I was doing it. At conventions or seminars, we have that opportunity to do demonstrations, maybe with a partner or, you know, maybe, you know, as homework or something like that. But to actually have somebody sit down at the beginning of the pre-talk, a third party, and actually give you feedback about your cadence, your rhythm, your style, your intuition, your techniques, how you structure suggestions, and all those things makes a huge difference. It can move somebody rapidly to an expert level. So then that, that's an interesting mindset, that the premise of teaching that intuition. So would you say that really comes from getting that hands-on experience in terms of here's what's working, here's what you can improve? Though on the other side, how much of that can be actually gained by really getting the experience of watching real client sessions actually take place? Well, I think it's great for us to be able to watch real client sessions actually take place. Unfortunately, there aren't a lot of places where we can actually get case studies of real client sessions. Yeah. Probably the closest most of us get to is listening to the hypnosis MP3 recordings of others to see how other experts in our field uh, structure suggestions. So I was actually doing that this morning. I was on YouTube and lots of hypnotists put their complete sessions on YouTube and, uh, I was listening to probably about four or five of them, and a couple of them were horrible, and uh, <laughs> one or two was really excellent, and, uh, and and it's great to be able to do that. The way I've been doing it is here in Las Vegas, I've been offering a live master class, but it, it, it's not a master class that we normally think about in terms of, you know, here's all the advanced techniques that Richard thinks you probably didn't know. Really, it's a master class that's designed to be experiential. I begin in the first hour by doing a complete hypnosis session so they can observe me doing a complete hypnosis session. But then I have everybody who's participating guide another person in front of the room through a complete session. And we deal with real issues. Uh, every one of us who attends a hypnosis training are also genuine people. So we all genuinely have something that we could work on in our own life. And, uh, and I limit those classes to 12 people so that we can actually give each other feedback. But I don't give feedback in those classes that is traditional. Here's what you could have improved or here's what you did wrong. Instead, I follow a positive psychology model where instead of trying to stop doing what we're doing wrong, we try to start doing more of what we're doing correctly. And that's a real uh, important shift. And I think for people to move to the expert level, it's not really being told what we're doing wrong that's important to us. Um, the people who attend those classes, the people who attend really a lot of even my online trainings have, have, have experienced doing the technical side of hypnosis. They actually know when they're wrong. But we almost always tend to look at ourselves critically. And because of that, we fail to recognize what we're doing right. And the idea in positive psychology is to not get rid of what's wrong but instead to compensate for our deficits, if you will, by utilizing our strengths. And so the feedback that we give follows a positive psychology model where we try to do more of what we are doing correctly. Yeah, got it, got it. So then where did this model come from? Where did this idea originate? 
Well, the idea actually originated um, from my own personal experiences. Like I said, I've been doing hypnosis for many years and probably never had anybody observe a complete session of mine. In the early 2000s, I went to Germany and I went to a training. It wasn't titled hypnosis training. It was a, a course for mental health professionals and it was titled Advanced Accurate Empathy. And it was led by uh, Dr. Bob uh, Bollet from Florida State University. He's a psychologist there. And, uh, and the class was really a remarkable class because over uh, you know, a several-day period at a little rinky-dink hotel in Speyer, Germany, um, we actually did hypnosis with each other. And we got direct feedback from other experts in um, – in, in, in ways that we could help our clients even better. And it was at that training that I left feeling that maybe I had marked my own beginning from being a good technician to being an expert hypnotist. And I look back on that course and it was really life changing for me. So I began to offer that course, usually or, or a version of that course, uh, uh, you know, two or three times a year here in Las Vegas. And, uh, People have loved attending it. Yeah, what I wanted to reach out to you specifically on this is that uh, uh, once again, you joined the amazing rank of people who uh, have forgotten they were actually on this program before. Uh, back on, <laughs> yeah, I'm really grateful that you have permitted me to be on your show. You know, I, I know a lot of people listening to your podcast. And I keep thinking to myself, when is Jason ever going to let me be a guest? So thank you for finally letting me be a guest on your show. Yeah, we'll ignore session number uh, 47 from June 29th, 2015. Uh, Richard Nongarden, evidence-based hypnosis. Uh, worth a listen. Maybe you should hear it as well. No, but back to that original uh, time together, th this mindset of thinking differently. I mean, thinking bigger about the hypnosis profession that at the time I had reached out to you before about some work that you were doing where taking some of the more up-to-date thinking that's out there in terms of counseling, in terms of coaching, and bringing that into the hypnosis process where so much of the work may have been, let's phrase it this way, stuck in the dark ages of this is how they used to do it, and working to really update the models. Um, to go kind of bigger picture on this, how would you perceive it to be that we all need to be thinking differently about what we do? What's amazing to me is that so many hypnotists talk to me about the past. They talk to me about Erickson. They talk to me about Elman. They talk to me about, uh, you know, Harry Aarons. They talk to me about uh, all of the people who came before us, and they try to learn their methods. And that's fine because it helps us to become a better technician. And those individuals had really tremendous contributions to our understanding of hypnosis. But it's really interesting that rarely do we ask this question, who is doing current research in the field of hypnosis or in the fields directly related to hypnosis, mindfulness, meditation, cognitive-based therapies, experiential therapies, acceptance and commitment therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, all those are very closely related to hypnosis, and asking what can we bring into our current uh our current knowledge base rather than simply trying to replicate the past. So the idea of contextual psychology that we talked about or contextual hypnotherapy in the previous uh, webcast was really about looking at the current body of literature and evidence out there that shows us really a whole new treasure chest of techniques and ideas and strategies. But more importantly than just learning something new, it actually tells me what works most effectively because 
you know, 60 years ago, we didn't really have a wide, you know, body of techniques. We didn't have a real big menu to choose from. And now we really do. And some are more effective than others. And if I have a client who I've never worked with before, I've never met them before. I've probably never even talked to them before. I want to actually begin with that which is most likely to be helpful to the client, not necessarily that which comes from my tradition or from antidotes about, you know, what other hypnotists have told me works. So I think it's really important for us to um, have a meta-theoretical approach. You know, I meet people who are either regression or they're not regression. Well, how about what's best for the client yeah. and predicate that on what we know about um, helping clients to heal faster and recover sooner and create lasting change, which is why at HypnoThoughts this year, I gave away that book. I gave away a book titled 101 Proofs That Hypnosis Works. It's all from the academic literature, and that's all actually new research. And what's interesting about it is that in many of those cases, the articles didn't actually even use the word hypnosis. But they were definitely working with hypnotic methods, whether it's autogenic training or progressive muscle relaxation or forms of visualization, et cetera. And so as hypnotists, I think we need to think big. You know, probably the best example of this is NLP. If I go to a, most NLP master practitioner trainings today, what I'm actually going to get is the exact same content that was in the master practitioner training in 1979. Yeah, yeah. The idea with, it, with with NLP is let's model an exemplar, somebody who produced excellent results. So in NLP, we talk about Milton Erickson, we talk about Virginia Satir, and we talk about Fritz Perls. But never do I hear NLP professionals talking about, you know, Stephen Hayes or really any other person who might be on the forefront, Marshall Linehan, of really effectively working with clients in a creative ways. How come in the field of NLP, those people aren't be becoming the new source for new NLP patterns? And and so, of course, that integrates into hypnosis. And I think we can all be bigger by by learning more. Well, I mean, you look at the, the you know, especially on the NLP side, you go back to the origins. And yes, they were modeling the work of these individuals. Yet to chunk up a little bit higher, we should be modeling the thinking how, what was going on in the mind, what was going on in the processing, what was going on in terms of the perceptions to eventually get to the work where, you know, the NLP training doesn't necessarily take the shape of here's another routine, here's another strategy, here's another technique. That's Sorry. one way that it's often been done. But instead, it goes back to, I mean, the story of tracking people who let go of a fear on their own. Tracking people who were naturally getting into rapport on their own. And what were the things that were naturally occurring? So it's not this, let's go there, it's not this bastardized version of if I sit like you, you're going to like me and you're going to trust me and you're going to buy my stuff. No, it's instead, how do we get into that thinking? So to rewind it back again, like you, like you wonderfully mentioned there about listening to the client, what's appropriate to them and what was driving that result. You know, it's where... You mentioned, uh, you know, we got onto the theme of watching a real client session. Um, it's something that I've got a few of inside of my training programs, which by nature of getting someone to agree to such a thing who is a real paying client, as opposed to a student in a class, is a different scenario from one to the other. And it's a library that I'm gradually building up more and more of, though it's to have not just that session, 
but that almost uh, scene by scene breakdown towards the end of this is what we talked about during the conversation. And that's why I went in that direction. This is what I knew about the client going into the scenario. And that's why these strategies were put into place. So back to that original question, though, how is it that that new hypnotist learns that intuitive art of it all? I think number one, study. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was first learning hypnosis, I had an insatiable desire to read more books. And the cool thing is I just moved into a new house, so I put up some new bookshelves and I unpacked some of those boxes with some of my old books, and I really learned a lot of stuff early on. So, of course, obviously reading a lot, learning a lot, attending a lot of classes, all of those things. But I think having that desire for peak-level performance. So one of the things that we do as hypnotists is we offer peak performance hypnosis. I help athletes to step into the zone and be triumphant in their sport. I work with academic performance. And I, by the way, I don't work with D students trying to get them to a C. Yeah. The students who I've worked with have always been A- minus students who need to get an A. I'm working with the 34 on the ACT who needs a 35 in order to get into Harvard. Those are the people who I work with. So in academic performance, so I'm trying to help people to achieve, again, peak performance states. So as a hypnotist, we're offering peak performance services, but I have to ask you this question, or uh, you, Jason, but uh, everybody who's listening to this, um, who's doing your peak performance hypnosis? Hmm. Who are we seeing to get not only the feedback, but also suggestive therapy for ourselves that can help us step into a peak state or frame of reference in hypnosis. So one of my most popular YouTube videos over the years, I recorded about five or six years ago, and it was a hypnosis session to hypnotize the hypnotist to have confidence to do hypnosis. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't have confidence when they're new to actually do sessions with people. The, 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 the session I should probably record now and put on YouTube is um, stepping into peak performance for the expert hypnotist. Now, I do some of that. You know, I meet with people individually here in Las Vegas, what I call the hypnotic palace. Mm -hmm. uh, people do come and study with me for a, a period of a couple days. Um, and as part of that, we cover, of course, what people are most interested in learning and the techniques and all those things in one-on-one, -on -one, or maybe they bring one colleague. Um, but I also spend a lot of time working with individuals doing hypnosis with them, helping them to achieve peak performance states, just like we help our clients to achieve peak performance states in their craft or their area of interest. I think it's important for us to do that. Well, it's where, again, we, we get on that quest of, I need another technique, I need another strategy, and to sometimes really have those moments that, yes, while that continued education is empowering, but also to have that mindset that we are ready to jump in. The, the number of people that I'd interact with that have, I, I'd go so far as to say, even at times more training than I have, and yet they still haven't seen that first client yet. They still haven't put it all into motion. Or they're seeing people and they're not quite working to that full potential yet. You know, I think two things hold people back from actually working with clients. Number one is their own fear that they're not adequate yet. Yeah. Not only in their techniques but in their own personal life, it's really about self-doubt. They're a few pounds overweight still, or you know, they have a couple of compulsive habits, or sneak a cigarette every now and then, or like to play cards, or you know, uh, uh, 
you know, uh, surf the internet for, you know, dirty images or whatever it is that people do that, that makes them feel like they're not okay or they're not perfect or they drink beer during football games or again, whatever it is. So there's a self doubt. Well, how can I help people? Cause I have to deal with some of my own issues and I need more training. So I'll have more opportunity to address my own issues. And when I finally climb up the Maslowian escalator <laughs> to self actualization, then I will be ready to see clients. The problem is, no matter how high up the Maslowian pyramid we climb, there's always a higher level. And it's kind of like waiting for tomorrow to do something that's important. And I actually believe, uh, I got in this sort of debate on the internet not too long ago, of how, many, how much hypnosis training do you have to have before you can help people? I can teach a person how to do a basic process of induction and deepening and reorientation using a skill-building induction, and I can do that in probably a two-day period. Um, and, 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 and if I teach that to you and you use that with individuals, you will better their lives today. I've said before, if all we did was induction, deepener and reorientation, 90% of our clients would respond with profound changes and they'd, they'd change rapidly. So the reality is, um, we can, in fact, begin helping people immediately. And that's how you become a, a better hypnotist is you begin within your scope of practice using the skills that you know to help people experience change and wellness. And as I do that with people, I will become a, 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 a better technician who's more intuitive and will be able to help more people at a deeper level. And I've never met anybody yet who got 20 hours of hypnosis training and then said, oh, I guess that's all I need. Anybody who actually wants to go on and help people is actually going to go on to become lifelong learners. You know, you and I talked about this at HypnoThoughts. What are you going, what class are you going to attend, Richard? And I attended some great classes. I attended one by Rick Paddock in Milwaukee. And I attended one by uh, Duff McDuffie from Boulder, Colorado. And uh, I attended a couple other classes at HypnoThoughts and popped in on a few classes at HypnoThoughts. And I did that um, because I've never stopped my learning. Just a week or two ago, I bought a book on Amazon um, to add to my hypnosis library. And I spent part of last week reading material in that book so I could learn, so I could become a, a better hypnotist. So then let's go back to that statement, though. I want to explore that a little bit further around to do that skills building induction, to do the deepeners, to talk about the change. And you mentioned a lot of people will respond simply to that. Now, what will come around to the other side of one school of thought that says you've got to go after cause, you've got to go after this, you've got to go after that, though, why is it in your opinion that the process is going to get that powerful of a reaction to something that some people in our community would look at and say, yeah, but that's too simple. Oh, that's just direct suggestion hypnosis. Yeah, you know, I've actually found that uh, most people are actually pretty simple and simple people respond to simple <laughs> solutions. Yeah. Uh, I'm a simple guy um, and I respond to the simple things. Um, and, you know, we, we like life when it's simple. And if you, Jason, tell me that by learning the techniques of let's call it progressive muscle relaxation or the techniques of autogenic training or something like that, that that is going to you give me the hypnotic suggestion that that's going to help me solve the presenting problem. Well, I'm going to believe it and I act on whatever I believe. And so 
I'm going to make the change because you, you taught that to me. That's the sort of the cognitive component of it. It really is that simple. Direct suggestion actually works. The other element to this is we have a lot of talk now about mind-body medicine and cognitive neuroscience and, um, you know, in psycho- psychotherapy or hypnotherapy. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of, of value in that. So one of the books that I actually added to my library two weeks ago was um, a book that Herbert Benson, Harvard psychiatrist, wrote about therapeutic relaxation. So in 1978, he wrote a landmark book called The, the Relaxation Response. And he showed in that book all of the research, again, Harvard psychiatrist, that by simply teaching basically Jacobson's process for progressive muscle relaxation, there were profound psychological, there were profound social, there were profound physiological responses that resulted from his patients learning this process. And we all recognize that as part of a hypnotic induction. So I think as hypnotists, we can take it to a deeper level. But the value, a lot of people try to get through the induction so they can get to the good stuff. If we do the induction correctly, it actually is the good stuff. Yeah. And we change um, states and we, achieve, we, we change um, you know, neurological associations with those states. And of all the clients who I think of, and even in my own life, the stuff I struggle with most are unwanted states rather than directed resource states and those simple processes actually not only direct new resource states the antithesis of the stress or anxiety or the fear or the self-doubt or whatever other negative component i'm feeling in life but they actually change my physiology yeah and help me step into a healthy chapter of life that's some really profound stuff. Well, it's that conversation that is it the mindset that changes the physiology or is it the physiology that changes the mindset? Is it, you know, and this type of equation goes back and forth of which one came first, but simply looking at the process sometimes as being that pattern interrupt, or as I would say, the uh, inspirational phrase from any infomercial at three in the morning, but there's got to be another way. That opportunity to observe things differently, just to introduce that other pattern and to bring about a similar background, um, it's that moment where the magician could pull out this incredible sleight of hand routine with all this incredible card magic and cards appearing and disappearing, but of all things that's going to have the lasting value is when they pull out the sponge bunnies. Absolutely. You put Mama Bunny in their hand, you put Papa Bunny in yours, and they want to be together. You open up your hand, it's disappeared, it, both are now in theirs. You then put Mama Bunny and Papa Bunny in their hand, they close it, and you know what happens when bunnies are together in darkness. They open up and the hand explodes with all these baby bunnies in the hand as well. And it's just the simplest of a trick. And it's where back in the years where I was around magicians... You know, it was the magic for magic's sake. It was the magician fooler, the person being branded as the magician's magician. And you would watch somebody, a, a layperson, observe one of these routines, and they can't even track what was supposed to happen. As opposed to, I opened my hand and something happened. Back Absolutely. to the simplicity, yeah. You know, uh, my goal with my clients is not to do a process that impresses other hypnotists at a hypnosis convention. Thank you. <laughs> my goal with my clients is to help them to find 
a new manner of living or to enter a new chapter of life, one filled with abundance and happiness and and and, and change. Um, and I don't need to use all of the techniques that impress other hypnotists and hypnosis convention. I just need to use the techniques that help my client to solve the presenting problem and to step into that new chapter of life. And so that's what I do with my clients. I do what works best for them. Now, you've been writing recently about the theme of something that I absolutely agree with, of truly getting that foot in the door for the first session, which is where very often in my first session, it's similar in theme to what we've been talking about so far, because it's about getting that foot in the door for the change process. And I I say this respectfully, but I also say this disrespectfully to parts of our community, rather than trying to convince the person from the start, the issue, and listen for the modifier here, the issue might have been a bigger issue than it was in the first place. That they're coming into my office, here's the presenting issue, let's get in there and get that change in motion. And it's where you're a multiple session practitioner, I'm a multiple session practitioner, and that mindset of it's the feedback in the next session, that's what's going to guide us. Absolutely. You know, I'm not a big fan of single session hypnosis. And the reason why I'm not is that sometimes it's a process and people people come to us because they want to be supported. They, they, they don't have anybody in their life who actually does genuinely care about them or this issue. You know, the smoker lives with another smoker or the overweight person lives with overweight family members who want them to continue to eat Twinkies and pizza and donuts. And, and we're, we may be the only person in their world who, who, who they believe genuinely cares about their wellness. I find a lot of my clients are in isolation and we have to remember that probably the mechanism that makes most hypnosis sessions effective is actually not the technique we use, but the care we give to the client. And so I want my clients to come back to a second session smoking cessation because I want them to have a place to give their high fives and their accolades because their bowling team actually doesn't care. Their coworkers don't care. Their spouse who continues to smoke at home doesn't care. And they need that. And that can, well, in fact, <clears throat> back to the cognitive neuroscience, there's actually research that shows that simply attending to a person, me in your space, you in my space, the two of us sharing trance together, produces um, neurological change, new associations, and can help our clients to experience success. So let's go to the other side of that statement, though. Uh, what do we do to build up that strength within the client, yet not build that dependence back upon us? Well, I always prepare my clients. I always let my clients know that my goal is to not have them be dependent on me so that they have to come back to me in order to solve any problem. So I let my clients know at the outset that ours is a paid temporary professional relationship, but I'm going to be there for them when they need me. But I decrease dependency by giving my clients homework between each and every session. And I follow up on that homework to make sure that they've done it because I don't want my clients to come to my office and be hypnotized. I want my clients to leave my office and live hypnotically. Nice. And so when they leave my office for the last time, they're not abandoned. They are now well prepared to live hypnotically. And the great thing about living hypnotically is that you find 
the relationships and the people in your world who will share that positive trans state with you, whether they're a hypnotist or not. And, and, and old associations, again, whether it's with a habit like overeating or smoking cigarettes or chasing cars or whatever it is that people are trying to overcome is literally replaced with a new behavior of being excited about life. Years ago, I had a, a client, his dad was actually a, 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 a licensed professional counselor. And his dad came to one of my workshops, one of my trainings, this was in the 90s. And, um, and, and dad said to me, wow, my son, he's 18, he's got a lot of problems. I've tried to help him, he's been an inpatient, he's been an outpatient, blah, 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 blah. Will you see him for counseling? And so I agreed to see his son. Now, I had never met the father before. This was the only time I ever talked to him. The son came in for his session. I think he was probably about 19 years old. When he came in for the session, the first thing he did was he looked at me and he said, so are you going to help tell me to quit smoking pot like all my other dad's friends? <laughs> and I said to him, well, two things. First of all, I'm, I'm not your father's friend. I simply met him on one time. So let me just clarify for you in case you didn't know what our relationship was. He came to a class and I met him. I've never talked to him any other time. Uh, two, no, I'm not going to tell you to quit smoking pot. Now, he looked at me with a big smile on his face when I told him that. And, of course, this was, again, the very early 1990s. I had long hair, probably some form of a crappy mullet. Uh, <laughs> I had, you know, roundish John Lennon glasses that were probably a little bit tinted. I had a giant porn star mustache that, you know, kind of hung down. And he, he looked at me and he said, are you a pot smoker, too? This was, of course, back in the day when everything was in the closet. And I said, no. And he looked dejected. He looked bummed up. And then he said, why aren't you going to quit? Why aren't you going to tell me to quit smoking pot? And I said, my goal is not to help you to quit smoking pot. My goal in our um, sessions. I'm not sure. Apparently, we triggered Alexa. I said, <laughs> my, my goal. She, she doesn't know something. I said, my oh, we're goal. Not, we're not editing that out. I love that. <laughs> I don't think I said Alexa. But I, I have her on turn off. I keep saying things in my office that sound like, uh, hey, Siri. Yeah, exactly. And that time, I'm serious, yeah. right? Siri pops up. Yeah. So <laughs> I told him my goal is not to help you. My goal is not to have you quit smoking pot. My goal is to help you to love life so much that you won't want to miss any of it by being stoned or drunk or high. And I think that's really the approach we can have with all of our clients. We want them to love life their new life so much and the opportunity that hypnosis gives them and access to these new and incredible uh, resource states that, that they can uh, that they can produce in our office that they won't ever want to go back to whatever misery they had before they came to my office because the new manner of living is just so wonderful and if we can replace um, those old things with hypnotic living well, we've we've changed, we've transformed lives forever. Then there's really no question about will I go back to gaining weight, or will I go back to smoking cigarettes, or will I go back to chasing cars or being depressed? The answer to that is no. Which the uh, Start Chasing Cars program from Dr. Richard Nongard is coming when? 
Uh, it's actually the uh, the program from John Serbone. John oh, Cerbone, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Actually, talks about uh, stop chasing cars. Yeah, so. he uh, he mentioned that when he was on the podcast, and he remembered when he was on here too. By the way, so uh, <laughs> so I wanted to kind of you, tra- might, you must there must be some sort of subconscious hypnotic cue that Jason Lynette reminds hypnotist to use the stop chasing cars example for our generic hypnosis sessions. Outstanding, outstanding. So let's kind of transition away though, because. You're somebody that you're not doing as much individual one-to-one work as you used to. Uh, and it comes down to a theme that's originally the reason I reached out to you to, to be here once again, which is that mindset of thinking bigger about what we do, where to have that ability to be that influencer of all these practitioners around the world and to begin to spread that skill around, though even where so many people within this hypnosis profession are stuck inside of that dollars for hours model where unless there's somebody there in the office is there's no other model or even this mindset that it's not as good. So this is the only thing that I should be doing in terms of just that mindset. How do you think that outside of just the skills that we're using inside of our process, how is it that the modern hypnotist should be thinking differently about how we approach the work that we do? Well, probably the best example is I see this post on Facebook all the time in various hypnosis groups, which is, I just had a client no-show. Can I charge their credit card? Or how do I how do I get a client to pay me when they you know can- cancel the appointment right beforehand? <laughs> and uh, and I hear all these strategies about how you can you know weasel $125 or $150 out of them because they no-showed or didn't call or canceled or whatever. Uh, the reality is I love it when clients don't show up because it gives me an hour to do something productive. So I would have done a hypnosis session with them. So instead, I write a hypnosis script. Now I have two of the best-selling hypnosis script books on the planet Earth. So if I have somebody who doesn't show up or somebody who calls and cancels at the last minute, it gives me an opportunity to work on other things, to create other content, whether it's writing a book, creating scripts for other hypnotists, um, or really doing anything else that's productive and valuable with my time. Maybe even rising to a higher level by using that time for self-hypnosis. And so sometimes I actually feel like I owe a debt of gratitude to my client for no-showing to open up some more time during the day so I have the ability to use it productively. Um, The other element of that that I think is actually important for us is, yeah, you you mentioned that I'm doing less hypnosis now than I was before. You know, when I was in Tulsa and had the Tulsa Hypnosis Clinic, I was actually staying pretty busy. Um, A lot of people know I've had some health problems, particularly with my voice. The good thing is it's all on the mend now. I actually started speech therapy, speech pathology yesterday. It was my first appointment, and I have another appointment tomorrow. And uh, so uh, because I haven't been able to sustain my voice and use it in the same way that we need to as a hypnotist, when I moved to Las Vegas, I made the decision that I wouldn't see clients in an office anymore. And... um, I actually spent most of my time in the last two years writing uh, because you don't need your voice for writing. But because things are on the mend, it's given me a whole lot of new opportunity. By the way, self-hypnosis, in addition to speech pathology, in addition to a couple surgeries, has been a big part of that recovery process for me. Um, But now I'm at the point where I get to sort of look back and see, well, what's my contribution? And I want to be able to contribute by teaching other people. So we have an ICBCH train the trainer event coming over, coming up. And and that's an event that doesn't 
revolve around me standing in front of a room and teaching people how to teach other people hypnosis. But again, it's limited to 12 people so that I can actually brainstorm with them. What direction would you like to take hypnosis training in? These are people who are attending who are, in fact, leaders in our profession, and it's going to be great to work with them. So I think all of us um, get opportunities to really evaluate what it is we're doing and sort of um, renegotiate what their contributions are. Now, because my voice is largely back, I have been seeing more and more clients via Skype. And that's been a lot of fun for me. I love seeing clients via Skype. I just worked with a lady a couple of weeks ago who was uh, afraid of flying. But the problem is I worked with her on Skype because she had flown to where she was going. And now she needed to get home. And so I get some really creative opportunities to work with people on Skype and in ways that I actually really didn't when I had the office. So I'm still seeing clients. Still seeing clients on a regular basis, and of course, when people come to see me for you know what we call one-on-one mentoring, a large part of that is hypnosis. They sit in my hypnotic furniture, put the same headphones on my clients in the office did, and we do full sessions, um, not only to learn but also to step into peak performance. And uh, you know, I, I really feel like I'm living the dream now because I get to do some training and create some often awesome courses, but I get to see clients as well whether they're on Skype or elsewhere. And I, I'm also really beginning to focus on sort of leaving a legacy and transforming our profession by networking with other professionals to really create, you know, resources. So over the years, I've probably given away more hypnosis than just about anyone. You know, I started loading up YouTube videos 10 years ago when people would actually get mad at me for sharing our hypnotic secrets <laughs> on yeah. the internet. And so I'm looking forward to stirring the pot by really working with some other fine individuals to um, uh, to really expand our reach, to think bigger as a profession. Well, I'd share there's a inspiration that I've picked up from the way that uh, back in the days of when David Copperfield would do the magic special on television, when suddenly, and here's a cross-reference, when George Carlin would do the stand-up comedy special on HBO – when they did that performance on television, that was no longer the act that they could tour with. That if you went and saw them live, yes, you know, eventually with George Carlin, there's a period in his history where he refused to work Vegas. And then in his later years, he did because he found, well, the audience does want to see him do some of the same old routines. And he'd sort of mix in some of the hits with newer material. But it's that mindset where it's that personal challenge that as soon as they package it as soon as they put it into that product format on television they've got to change it up they've got to create a new routine they've got to it's where i don't have the direct reference on this but there's a reason why david copperfield hasn't done television the way he used to because now sitting in that theater it's his show and the amateur changes their act the professional changes their audience but it's more so about changing that model and just going, well, how can I push this in a new direction? What happens if we do it this way? What happens if we do it that way? Or back to the old Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney movies, my uncle's got a barn. Let's put on a show. Let's see what happens. Well, and I found that we can't actually get better and move to the expert or to the sage level in a vacuum. 
without working with others. This is why I have always sort of viewed myself as the Frank Sinatra or the <laughs> Willie Nelson of hypnosis. Yeah. I like doing things with other people and other teachers. And uh, whether it's writing a book with James Hazelrig or whether it's you know teaching classes with Scott Sandlin or, many, or any of the other people that I've taught with, I like networking with mem- people who are members of all the professional associations. You know, in this Train the Trainer program, some people have called and said, yeah, but I'm a trainer for this organization or that organization. You know, do I have to give that up? Well, of course not. I would never expect or want anyone to. I think that as a profession, we can all strengthen each other by sharing our resources, sharing our knowledge, sharing our different vantage points, viewpoints, and philosophies, and really working together to make this profession great. Outstanding. And I'm sure most people already know the websites, but for the sake of completeness, where can where can folks find out more about you online? Subliminalscience.com. Now, I would not have, now knowing what I now know about marketing, I never would have picked subliminalscience.com. I actually do on all of the misspellings. Um, but uh, <laughs> subliminalscience.com has probably been one of the busiest and biggest hypnosis websites in the last, you know, ever. Um, and there is a, a blog that's pretty active with lots of great content and a lot of resources that people can access. Um, and then, of course, if you go to icbchgroup.com, icbchgroup.com, that actually is a URL I bought that simply redirects to the Facebook group for NLP hypnosis and life coaching professionals. There's about 5,500 members in that group. And here's the great thing. It's well moderated. There are no fights and flame worms. So I, I think it's one of the most respectful and um, um, sort of um, – social media forums for hypnotists to gather. And the great thing about it is it's open to everybody who is genuinely interested in hypnosis, NLP, and effective life coaching, regardless of training or affiliation. And if you ask a question there, you'll actually get the feedback, not only from me, but from, you know, 5,500 other people. And, you know, and again, a a respectful and well-moderated forum. So that's icbchgroup.com. And of course, my website is subliminalscience.com. Outstanding. Well, thanks for thinking bigger and uh, thanks for uh, appearing on the program now officially for the first time. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. (laughs) For years, I've been trying to get on it. And so uh, now I I, I know I've hit the big time because I'm on the uh, Work Smart Hypnosis podcast. Holla back. It's Jason Lennett here. I'm getting tired of using the same old catchphrases. And uh, once again, thank you so much for interacting with this program. Thank you so much for your feedback online, whether it's sharing this podcast listing on Facebook or leaving your reviews over on iTunes or any other podcasting player out there. In the meantime, as well, head over to Hypnotic Workers. It's your opportunity to bypass the expense of live training hours, as well as travel, hotel, uh, meals, as well as your flights, to get the all-access pass to my hypnosis training library. It's a ton of content, well over 70 full hours of classroom lecture, discussion, as well as, again, real client sessions that are there for you to model. And you're able to get instant access for just $47. Hey, that's a bargain. Jump over to hypnoticworkers.com, and I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Go out there and think bigger about what you do. Bigger and bigger it. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast. 
at worksmarthypnosis.com. 